0: At Rom Chapel, were exposed to me leading worship today, which included me playing the guitar and having to and them having to sing along with me. You're, you don't know you know how blessed you are now, uh, because early in the morning it's tough to sing. I don't know how in the world people do it like they do it like a lot. Like when you get the choir here early, I don't know how they do it. That is difficult. I mean, my voice, my throat was still half full of coffee, <clears throat> and it was just it's it was rough. Uh, it, but that's not my only problem, as I told them. I have another a problem, and that's selective hearing. I don't, some of you may have this deal with this. It happens all the time at our house. But usually that's really where it strikes me the worst is at home. <laughs> For one reason or another. Michelle, well, I, well, I hear some this noise. Uh, and then I look up, and she's just staring at me. And I'm like, what? Did I miss something? And she says, you didn't hear a word I say. And I'm like, I, I could lie and say, no, I didn't. But I actually did hear something but I just wasn't sure what it was, and so I ignored it, and if that is a problem for you, I'm with you, like, it's, it's easy to, t- when I, it's not that I didn't hear, I heard, but I just wasn't paying attention, or I wasn't focused in, the other side of that problem is, is that, is something that I, I find I also have, another problem, is kitchen blindness, I don't know if any of you share this with me or not, but I have kitchen blindness. Like I can, it, it, I can go outside, and you know I may wear reading, readers, but I, I mean back outside I can see pretty good. You know, I, even in most parts of the house I'm pretty. I can see stuff. I can find stuff. But you get me in the kitchen, and Michelle said, "Didn't you see the, ki- the dishes in the sink?" No. I, honestly, I did not see the dirty dishes piled up in the sink. It doesn't matter how big the pile. I usually don't even notice. And then it strikes me when I get in the refrigerator and she'll say, can you get the Dukes? And I know that's to get the mayonnaise, right? I go to the fridge and I'm, where's the Dukes mayonnaise? It's like, it's like that mayonnaise jar has a cloaking device or something, you know? It, like, it camos itself to blend right in with the pickles and the ketchup. And I can never find it. I'll be in there looking for half an hour. Jimmy, you do that too? It's not mayonnaise, but it's something else, right? It, it, it affects all of us, right? That, Well, not all of us. Yeah. <laughs> Some of y'all are really good at hiding stuff. That's the problem. Some some of you can just hide stuff better than others. That's all it is. But I call it kitchen blindness, where I tend to, to fall into that trap when I get into the kitchen. Those are funny. There's another problem that I have that I think I share with probably a lot of us here today. It's not as funny, but it's just as real, and it's what I call tunnel vision. Tunnel vision... Now, applying it to our prejudices, our biases, right? That we tend to see things one way or the other. A tunnel vision is when you see a, like a narrow tunnel, like you're looking through a tunnel and you don't see the, the perspective, right? You don't see the surrounding uh, environment. You don't see the context for things, right? You get locked in, tunnel vision, into a problem or into something that's not right and you don't see everyth- anything else. Many of us, struggle with this especially when it comes to politics no matter which side of the political spectrum you're on you tend to zero in on everything that agrees with you or all the little things that you disagree with right comes up when we when we see people who are uh, getting help from the government one way or another how we see those folks we tend to see the problem or the opportunity as we see it and not the surrounding context it also comes into play when we when we see people who are materially blessed, right? We struggle with seeing the big picture. If you're not sure if you have it, let me give you a test. This is like that seeing eye test, you know, the eye test when you go to the doctor's office. Uh, this will be the big E, right? This will be the big one that if you you'll know whether or not you have spiritual tunnel vision. You're leaving Rock Hall and... You, you, you have to go back in to get something that you forgot in your house. <clears throat> you come back out. You, you're going up, up the road to that town up north, and Chestertown I'm talking about, and, and on your way you, get, you finally catch up to a, a group of about 20 motorcycles, and they're all going about 40. Long line of cars behind them. What are the thoughts that start going through your mind about that group of people? They may be a different skin color than you they obviously dressed different than you. We start to assume things about them, don't we? We do. <laughs> we, pretty much all of us do. We might check ourselves, but there for a moment, or in and out, we make assumptions about those folks, those people, right? Don't we do that? Tunnel vision. Spiritual tunnel vision. We don't want to do it, but we do. Sometimes, sometimes this spiritual tunnel vision is actually a good thing. It can be actually a really good thing. Like, like when I, I want to block out distractions so I can focus in on, on my s- study of God's word or focus in on prayer. I want to block out everything else. That's a good time to have tunnel vision, spiritual tunnel vision. When you want to avoid temptations, it's good to be able to walk through uh, chaos without being drawn off track, right? I remember years ago we went on a mission trip and, and uh, we, were in, uh, we took a bunch of kids a uh, long time ago. We took them down to Pass Christiane, Mississippi, and uh, we decided, Michelle uh, was with us, my wife, and we decided we're going to take the kids over to New Orleans to get some beignets and some coffee, and just let them see the town or whatever. You know, had not Neither one of us had been to New Orleans since since I'd gotten out of college, and so it have been years and years and years since we'd gotten there, and so the kids are all down there some the middle of the day. We're not thinking much about it, and they said, "What? Well, where's Bourbon Street? And we're like, it's, over, it's right over here, you know, and so they said, we had to walk back to the van anyway. So they're like, can we walk, walk? just walk through it just to see it? And we're like, okay. It's 12 o'clock in the morning. It's noon. Big mistake. <laughs> Big mistake. Bourbon Street has changed. <laughs> Bourbon Street has changed a lot since i had been there before. And uh, so my wife says, boys, put your blinders up. <laughs> She's like literally covering their eyes because, yeah, it was, it was a mess. So we do that, right? It's okay to gets focused to have put spiritual blinders on at certain times of life. But in this time, with the text we're going to look at today, we, we're going to see spiritual blinders that become a problem. And that's what can be a problem because if we walk around with, with blinders on, spiritual blinders, right, we walk around with tunnel vision, we might, might miss what God is doing outside of what we are so hyper-focused on. That's what we see in today's text. So let's jump into it. We're in Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through through 21. On the Sabbath day, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When he saw her, he called her forward and said, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hand on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Immediately. This infirmed woman immediately straightened up and praised God. The passage revolves around this woman in the synagogue, right? Jesus was always in the synagogue. Always. We we go on vacations, you know, many of us go on vacations, and sometimes, oftentimes, for many people, they don't go to church, Right? My wife and I, we try to do that. We try to be intentional about going to church when we're, even when we're on vacation. Because, well, for a lot of reasons, it's great to be in another place and, and see how other people worship and being exposed to that. I mean, it's always a good thing. You never know. You, God might do something in a strange place. Right? But this woman was in church in the synagogue that Sunday. And Jesus was invited to preach that day. That may be why she was there. We don't know. But Jesus, he was a, a well-known, teacher. So the synagogue leader, when he heard Jesus was coming to town, he's like, Jesus, come on up and share a word with us, right? I mean, it's like preacher comes in, you're like, come on up here and tell us something. tell us what God is doing. And and that's kind of the way it happened. I mean, we weren't told anything about this woman other than her condition had been with her for 18 years, that 18 years ago, something happened in her life and it has been progressively getting worse to the point now where she was Some texts call it she was bowed over, she was bowed over, but literally she's bent over now, and she can't straighten herself up. So she's walking around like this all the time. In order to cease to look at anybody, she has to turn sideways and tilt her head to see people. My mom has a degenerative disease in her back, and and I, I know that the pain... I'm well aware, maybe, maybe I don't know it, but I'm well aware of the pain that that can cause in someone's life for 18 years. We don't know, but it's reasonable to assume from the text that, that she's heard that Jesus is coming, and so she's not, she doesn't know, it, she knows it's not a guarantee that Jesus is going to heal me, but but there's a chance that if I get there and I get to see him, that maybe, just maybe, he can change my life. Just maybe. Today would be the day that, She's not expecting it, but she's hoping for it. I mean, she's resolved to the life that she has for 18 years, right? She's, this is the life of God. It's broken. It's painful. I get overlooked, literally overlooked. I get ignored, brushed aside, pushed in the corner. So she went there, accepting that as her life, and yet what did she find? She found grace. Grace. She found grace there. Jesus moved with compassion. Touched her. Not because she asked him to, but because he saw her. He really saw her. He wanted to. He wanted to ease her suffering. And that's the way God works. That's the way God works in our lives. Grace. Grace that doesn't have to, but does. That's that's what grace is. It, it's not required. It's a gift. I mean, this text this text draws up a ton of questions for us. I, well, for me, right? Uh, maybe for you. I mean, how did she get this? 18 years ago. It says it was a and it was a cur- it was a cur- was it a curse? Was it something that Satan actually did? One of his demons did he actually like break her over and, and like like was it an infection that she got? Our infections spiritual issues? our disabilities? spiritual issues, right? All these questions come into our minds, and, and I, they're, they're good, great questions, questions worthy of discussion and, 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 and reflection. But I think if, to focus there, we actually missed the point of what Jesus was doing here. Jesus called her and touched her and healed her right in the middle of the crowd on the Sabbath day. Imagine the dramatic change that this woman experienced in that moment. Just imagine that. Imagine what it was like to be healed after 18 years of real pain and suffering. Imagine just for, just for a second. The joy that when she finally stood up again, the first person she saw was Jesus, the Son of God. Imagine that. Joy. <laughs> no wonder she praised God, right? Right? I mean, that was our first reaction was to praise God. No wonder. So I want to just, for a moment, just to draw an application for you and I here today. Is there anything going on in your life that you need some straightening today? Where you need some things to be kind of realigned in your life? Does something that, does something in your life have you so tied down that you're unable to function as you feel God is calling you to? Something holding you back. Are you in need of somebody who truly see you and know you? That really can make a change in your situation. Is that you today? Whatever your bondage, whatever it is, the message for today is that Jesus sees you. He understands you. Others may look past you. Others may push you aside. Others may ignore you. But I just want to tell you that Jesus sees. He knows. You, you, may, you may feel like that, that no one knows because you hide it so well. And I just want to say that Jesus knows. He sees you as you really are. Not as you pretend to be, but as you really are. He knows. You can take the facade off. You can take the mask off when you come to Christ. Your problem might not be as obvious as someone who's bent over literally. Your problem might be a little more one you can, you can hide and control a little better. Know this. Jesus sees the truth. And he's willing to help, just like this woman, he's willing to help you today. If you'll honor him as your God, if you'll seek him, He will embrace you and bring real change into your heart and life. At the end of today's service I'm going to ask a couple of our church leaders to come up and uh, just be available for prayer. If if that's you, I just want to say stop carrying it around. Come and and let folks pray with you. I'm not saying everything will be changed overnight but come and let people pray for you. We'll come back to that. The second thing we see here is a synagogue leader who, who had planned a worship service, right? And it was not going according to plan all of a sudden, right? He had not written this part in. This was off the script, you might say. This is how it often is, and I can kind of sympathize with this guy at this moment in time. It, it's why I, I didn't do that, come forward if you would like somebody to pray with you right now, because I don't know how it would go, right? I don't know if, if the rest of this would kind of, I don't know. And since we don't always like the unknown, we tend to avoid it, right? This guy didn't have a chance to avoid the unknown. He says in verse 14, indignant, the Scripture refers to him as, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. The synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, y'all, so come and be healed on those days. Not on the Sabbath. Come back tomorrow. I mean, he's an indignant leader. He is... He's, He's frustrated. He's, he, he, I mean, you can almost see him get out his book of discipline. For those of you who are Methodists, you can almost see him get out his book of discipline and flip through the pages and like, it says right here we're not supposed to do that. Right? Like that's against the rules. But notice what he didn't do. This is important. What he didn't do was challenge Jesus. Why not? He didn't say anything to Jesus. He didn't call Jesus out. He couldn't do such a thing. Why? Because well, they just invited him to speak. Like you can't invite somebody to speak and then turn around and call them out. No, his only recourse was to call out the people. Besides, some of the guests who heard Jesus, they might come back next week. I don't want to bother, really offend them. So what I need to do is just talk to these, these people who came in here hoping to be healed. Let me correct them and their thinking. He says, come on, people. Honor the Sabbath, would you? You know what? we're not supposed to be doing this kind of stuff on the Sabbath day. Come back tomorrow for your healing. The reality was that Jesus always honored the Sabbath, no matter where he went. You always see in Scripture that he was in the synagogue or he was teaching in the synagogue. Every time Jesus is referred to in the synagogue, that's what he's doing. He honored it. You always find him there. He could sympathize with this leader. But there was a moment, this was a moment where he could teach him something. Not just him, but everybody else. And Jesus wouldn't let, him pa- wouldn't let it pass. He'd shown them what grace looked like by seeing someone that everybody else overlooked, by healing her, by changing her life, grace. He'd give them a picture of how to be full of grace in, your pres- in his presence in the, right now, like how to do that. And now he needed to make sure they were aware of their need for grace because everybody would look at that woman. Oh, oh, that was so good what he did for her. They were missing the fact that what they needed. So Jesus took this opportunity to show them what they needed. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has brought, who's bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. You see, the Sabbath day was a very special day. It's right in the Ten Commandments, right? So holy was this day that Jewish leaders, they came up with, with all sorts of laws and restrictions and guidelines of, of ways they were to... You, what you could and couldn't do, should and shouldn't do on the Sabbath day because it was such a big deal. They recorded it all, and one of them was considered, called the Talmud. It's, it's a book of restrictions, it's a book of laws. It's sort of like how you and I, if you have a little a toddler in the house, how you put all those locks on the cabinets. You know, in the kitchen, you go through and you put, maybe you use rubber bands, put rubber bands around the cabinet knobs and everything. So the, Why? Because you don't want kids drinking bleach, right? You want to keep them out of the disinfectants and the knife drawer and, and everything else. So you lock all that stuff up. Why don't you just take it out of the room? Well, because it's, you need it right there. It's more convenient to have it right there. But well, we don't want the kids to get in it, right? Well, why not just lock off the kitchen? Well, because that's where we spend a lot of time, right? We make exceptions for some things. We draw the boundaries in clear places, just like the Talmud would do. But some things are off limits. And yet, just like with your toddler in your house, Just like the Jewish people, give them enough time and they're sitting there surrounded by all the pots and pans. I don't care how well you lock them down. They're going to pull them all out, right? just happens. We're going to find ways around it if you give us enough time. And that's always the problem. The laws and guidelines that the Jewish people put forth, they couldn't keep them. It just proved that you can't follow the law, right? And that's what he's saying here. These commandments are so important They wanted to keep people from even having the opportunity to break them. Because breaking the the commandment is such a big deal. Well, let's put the line back here so we don't even get up to the real line. Such a big deal to God. And how is this breaking? Well, you see, the, the, the Sabbath day, Scripture tells us, Jesus teaches us, that the Sabbath day was given to man as a gift. That the Sabbath day is a day of rest from your work. It's a day of restoration. It's a day of revival. It's a day to be given unto the Lord. There were many things they couldn't do. One of them was the practice of what we would call medicine. Healing. And since Jesus, this woman, came in obviously ill, and she was now obviously healed, that she had experienced healing at the hand of Jesus. And that was against the Sabbath rules. That was the problem. But instead of telling Jesus, hey, Jesus, you can't do such a thing. In order, instead of doing that, he told the people, essentially, don't y'all come in here and make Jesus sin. Y'all know better than to ask. He can't say no to you. Stop doing this to him. Just come back tomorrow. He might be here still. Right? Right? Have some respect, you bunch of heathens. That's, if I were there, if it was me, that's probably the way I would have phrased it. All that to say, it's, it's a lot easier to make a point than it is to make a difference. Because to make a difference, you've got to be connected to somebody. It's easy to make a point. You can tell somebody what they ought to know, what they ought to do, what they should do. Pretty simple. But to make a difference in somebody's life, you have to be involved. You have to be willing to invest yourself there. And that's what this synagogue leader couldn't do see jesus does the greater thing here he flips it on them he compares his work of healing to something that all of them were guilty of watering their animals watering their animals see this leader he had tunnel vision the spirit the synagogue leader he had tunnel vision all he could see was what was broken what what wasn't right, what needed to be guarded. That's all he could see was Look, I gotta zero in on this and not let anything else in here. He couldn't see the need. He couldn't see the need for compassion. He couldn't see it. He wasn't looking to make a difference. He was trying to keep things under control. Maybe his motives were good ones. I mean, he did invite Jesus to come in and teach after all, right? I mean, we can't be too hard on the guy. I mean, maybe he was actually trying to do the right thing. But his tunnel vision should be a warning to us. Let me ask you this. How many times have you seen someone doing the, what, what everybody knows is the wrong thing and assumed that they didn't know Jesus or, or their problem was a spiritual problem? See somebody drunk on the street. You may have had that opportunity last weekend if you were in Rock Hall. See somebody just, just out of their mind drunk and you're like, what that person needs is Jesus. You ever go there? See somebody speeding and you think, how careless are they? See somebody asking for help. Asking for real financial help. And your thought is, Your first thought is, they really need to get their life together. Spiritual tonal vision, you see. It it makes us assume that what those people need is Jesus. And you're right. They do need Jesus. And so do you. (laughs) Right? So do we. We need Jesus too. But see, it prevents us from ever putting ourselves in their place, forever investing ourselves in them because they need to get their act together. Right? We're, we're putting more on them, on people than what we were ever asked to bear. We say we want those people to come to church, but I mean, who would ever want to go to church if all you're going to find is judgment? I mean, you get, 20, get that 24-7. I mean, you go on social media now and it doesn't take long to figure out that I don't measure up. Those people are taking fantastic vacations. they got great lives. Man, I'm a failure. Man, his church is full of people. He had how many people did he baptized? I am terrible. I stink. Why do I even keep doing this? I should just stop. Pretty easy. That, that's in all of our lives. Doesn't take much, the world tells you that you don't measure up. What we need is people to encourage us. I mean, let's be honest. The, the bar that Christ sets for us, for me and you, is, well, it's higher. I can't reach it, right? The bar that Christ sets, to be holy as I am holy, the Lord says. That's a pretty high bar. How many of you have cleared it this week? How, many of you, how much time did you spend over the bar this week? I'm guessing less time under it than more than over it. I'm just guessing, right? Why? Because it's hard. It's impossible if you don't have the Spirit of God alive in you. And yet we expect the world to be living over the bar? We can't even do it. And we know Jesus. How can we hold people to a standard that we can't even reach? Be careful with spiritual tunnel vision. Don't be so focused on what is wrong. Instead, focus where God is at work. Focus your life where God is at work. I think that's what Dr. Luke was was setting us up here when when he put these two short parables in to close out this section. Uh, Verse 18. He said, Therefore, this is what the kingdom of God is like, Jesus said, and what I shall compare it to. It's like a garden, or it's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like the leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. This is a picture of an infected church. You see, the mustard seed, the mustard plant was, uh, we, we read about that a lot, but it was actually a weed It was an invasive plant. You wouldn't go and plant that seed in your garden, right? It's not something you would do. But if you did, it would grow and become shelter for many birds. What he's saying is that that here in the synagogue, here he is doing something that you ought not do. That people aren't going to do with heal on the Sabbath. And you watch what's going to happen in Jesus' saying. It's going to grow. It'll grow. The kingdom of God is expanding. The, the, The the pinch of yeast in the 150 pounds of flour some versions refer to this as, this this portion, three portions of flour, up to 103 bushels, right? That's, that's That's a lot that it can impact, a little bit, can impact the whole thing. If we allow the Spirit of God to reign, it will work because the kingdom of God is expanding. The fact of the matter is that the church has always had a struggle with the world, but with this spiritual tunnel vision, right? Wanting to see the world as the problem. Wanting to see it's us versus them. This has always been a problem in the text of Scripture. Being, being affected by the world, and yet being able to affect the world. Being in a position to impact the world while not being shaped by it. The Apostle Paul wrote every one of his letters. I mean, if you read those letters in the New Testament, all of them are written to the church. Hey, you're letting too much of the world in. You're letting too much of the world in. You're letting too much of the world in. Charles uh, Spurgeon, famous preacher back 150, 200 years ago, I mean, he even said it. This is what he said. I believe that one reason why the church of God is at this present time has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. Every one of us would say, amen. Imagine if he were here today. (laughs) Charles Spurgeon would, his mind would literally explode, I believe. But it's always been a problem. It's always been a problem. The struggle is, is for us in the church to to not be so myoptic in our view, right? Not to be so zeroed in on what's wrong, but also to be able to see the needs around us. That we can't be just tunnel vision on, on what's broken. We've got to be able to see the need for grace and how we can impact our, the world around us. We've got to be able to juggle those two things. The Spirit of God will enable us to do that. To see as uh, experiencing God, that that book, that study that many of you have done, the book that many of you have read, to see where God is at work and join him there. That's, That's a need in today's world. It's always been a need. But it's even more so today. To see where God is at work and join him in it. Remember, the world may be broken. The world may be, there may be a lot that we don't like about the world. But God is at work. God is at work. Find it. Find where he's at work and join him in that. Remember that we're part of a conquering kingdom. We are part, of the body of Christ, we are part of the, Jesus wins. I've read the end of the book. Jesus wins in the end. You can look at us it, in Revelation. <laughs> Jesus wins. God is winning today. His kingdom is expanding today. People are being saved today. All is not lost. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. Yes, our world is broken. Yes, there are problems in this world. Yes, there are many things that shake, make us shake our head and think, well, maybe I just need to leave. Like, like, there's, like I need to go to someplace else. Yeah, all of that is true. There are real needs. But instead of just seeing problems, instead of just seeing what's broken, I invite you to see how God has gifted you. With God, who God, where the brokenness is that you see, that maybe, just maybe, God is calling you to step into it and be the one that builds bridges to heal. Because let's face it, there was a time in our lives when all of us were living against the ways of God. All of us had to even think What does God think about this? Before we ever said, I'm going to give my life to Christ. I'm going to surrender and make him Lord of my life. Before that happened, like we weren't born Christians. Scripture is pretty clear about that. We had to make a decision to follow him. We had to change. So does everything else. Everything else. Begin to to look for how God has gifted you. How God has gifted Wesley Chapel to impact this community. To be a part of the work that God is overcoming in this world. We are an infected church. We are in this, I I pray it to be, an infected church. What do I mean by that? I don't mean like that, Don. (laughs) Don's coughing. I I don't mean infected like that. Welcome back, by the way. What I mean is infected with not with spiritual tunnel vision, but infected with love. Infected for our community, with hope, for our world, for our nation. A church where we see real needs, knowing that God is the answer, and that he wants to use us to teach that, to show that, to reveal that to the world. That we, can be, we are to be infected with hope. We are to be infected with the love of Christ. Can you imagine us being infected with grace? That people in our community actually came to us, came here to find hope, to find grace, to find a place, to find a people that would love them and not judge them that would love them enough that they would want to change their life, that they'd want to give their life to the same God that we worship. Imagine that. The fact of the matter is, once you've experienced God's grace, you look for ways to extend God's grace. Once you've experienced it, you want to give it away. I pray that so for you today. So I have four questions for you. As we close, who do you know that needs the love of Jesus? You might want to write these down because maybe you want to go back and think about this for a minute. I'll tell you they're in our bulletin online. But you might want to write it down anyway. It's easy to remember if you write it down. Who, Who do you know that needs the love of Jesus? If you don't know anybody, maybe that's another question. Why don't I know anybody that needs the love of Jesus? Are you living in a religious bubble of hypocrisy? Do you see those people as having the problem? Do you struggle seeing your need for grace? Third one for all of us. As a church, how can we better welcome people in need? How can we be that place? where people come to find hope. How can we be that? What does God need to do in me so that begins to happen? What does God need to do in you so that you become a vessel of hope? And the last one, maybe, for you to consider. What marks your life? Your life. Worldly or godly influences? That question that uh, that maybe you've heard before: if, if a stranger stranger found found your body, would they mistake you for a Christian? Would you be mistaken for a follower of Christ? Good questions to ponder, maybe uncomfortable questions to consider, but all the same, worthy of our consideration. That we might become the people of God that He That he saved and redeemed us to be. To be on mission that he called us to be on right here in our community. I'd like to pray for you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for what you're doing in our midst. We thank you for how you have saved, transformed, redeemed, and have called us, Lord. You've put us here in this place to be your hands and feet. Lord, I invite you here in this place to to do what you need to do with us, your people. We need you, Lord. We love you. You died, God. Your son Jesus died on the cross for us, that we might live, but not just us. You died just as, you died for sinners. of whom we're the worst. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for saving us. Use us, Lord, for your glory. Because we love you. Amen. 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 A couple of things uh, before Terry gets back up to lead us in our closing. Uh, Tonight is our last grill night of the summer. Uh, We're gathering, Lori has invited us to come down to North Point Marina and allowing us to use the pavilion down there. Uh, Clyde and Mary Robbins, who are new members at Rock Hall Church, they're going to be hosting us down there. We're going to have a cookout. It's a, the best view in Rock Hall, I believe. Uh, but we're going to gather down there at 6 o'clock for a cookout and dinner. Uh, please come. if you. I tell you all the time, if, if you can cook, bring, bring your best dish. If you can't cook, buy something. Uh, and that's all right. Just come and join us. 6 o'clock, join us for dinner. All right? Uh, then, I'll say on the, in starting in September, you'll see in our program today that we're starting some small groups. We're going to start, we're going to read a book together, I'm going to, I'm asking all of our small groups, all our Bible studies to study the same book, uh, for those four weeks of the month, in the month of September, uh, starting in September, September and October, uh, the book Circle Maker. Uh, it's about our prayer life, how to develop that prayer life. I encourage you to get a copy of the book, uh, get together in a group, and, uh, Plan to study that together, uh, maybe at work or here at church or somewhere, uh, that we can we can grow together, sh- iron sharpening iron, right? Together, uh, as the body of Christ. So that's what we got for today. I hope you can be up, join us tonight. Uh, Terry, you want to come up? What about the weather for tonight? The weather I don't know. I'm not. My bones aren't hurting, so I don't know. You're yours are. Good. Okay. The weather will be what the weather will be. I guess. I'll have a lot of potato salad if we don't get together. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any other announcements? All right. Um, Let's see where I'm at here. Amen. All right. Lord, I just want to thank you for allowing us to gather.